Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents The History of Being Black. Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to the History of Being Black podcast, where we talk about all things in black, where we elevate our blackness to the highest of black levels. I am your host, Jay Hall, and I am here with Amy Allison. How are you, Amy? I'm good. It's good to be black. It is good to be black. <laughs> it is so good to what be black. What was the silence? What was that silence? <laughs> I had to digest that to be, for a it's second. It's good to be black on your show. Yes. <laughs> it was because there's so many terrible things going on in our country. Why would any say anyone say it's good to be black? But I digress. Oh, oh, I have a thousand and one reasons every single day I get up in the morning why it's good to be black. But, you know, I'm here. You know, in case you wonder, Amy is the founder and president of She the People, a national organization that elevates the voice and power of women of color as leaders in a new multiracial and political and cultural era. Now, Amy, you are also a writer. And voice, your work has been found on Politico, New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC, PBS, CNN. And also, I encourage people to Google your piece at Mary Claire, The Hope and Heartbreak of Derek Chauvin Verdict and Rodney King. I read that. Um, had Rodney King in there and the story that you told, what happened in 1992 and how you felt in the comparison. Great piece. I just want to tell you that personally. Like, that really, that really brought it home for me because that was the feeling I was feeling during that period of time. And still trying to wonder what is justice, like the definition of justice. And when I understood what justice was and then trying to see it for myself and for people, I feel like that piece right there gives a, a great piece, a piece of it. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for the show. Thank you for coming to the show. How are you? Thank, thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. So first things first, how does she, the people start in the world of Amy Allison? Um, you know, in uh, 2014 was two midterms ago. And uh, a uh, congresswoman that I loved and admired, Donna Edwards, was running for Senate in the third blackest state, which is Maryland, where the majority of Democratic Party voters were black, most black women. And I watched as this wonderful, progressive, justice-minded, amazing congresswoman with all these years of governance experience who was ready to go into the Senate. At that time, she would have been the second black woman uh, in the U.S. Senate, was undercut by the insiders in her own party. And they, uh, through a lot of uh, mechanisms and uh, whisper campaigns, undercut her in the primaries and uh, backed uh, the white man who ultimately became the senator. And that experience opened my eyes to many things, including, you know, some of the best, most effective, heartfelt, loving, justice-minded leadership is coming from Black women uh, and other women of color. And yet we don't have, we're we're not uh, fairly represented in the halls of power um, first and foremost, because we're taken out in primaries. And I saw that. I thought, this system is not made for us. It was never built for us. But it started to come into view that 
you know, the reason I was born, really, my work is to make sure that we're represented. Um, we built this country, we should be governing, and we should be uh, there, and we should overcome. So I started She the People um, four years after that uh, as a book. It was supposed to be a book about uh, black and brown women uh, stepping fully into their uh, power, and uh, it kind of grew from there. Never became a book, and there still isn't a book on uh, the first book on women of color in politics. But we we did many things that put women of color on the political map. So now, uh, all these election cycles later, uh, here in 2022, you have a black woman who won the Democratic primary for Senate in North Carolina, uh, Sherry Beasley, another black woman, won the Democratic primary in Florida, Congresswoman Val Demings. And they're the two with the best chance of flipping those seats and maintaining or expanding the Democratic majority. So we've come a long way. And at the same time, we're witnessing pushback. So She the People was born in this uh, volatile period with a lot of possibilities and a lot of dangers. Um, and so this is this is the work. Uh, this is the culmination of many, many decades of, of my work. So I live in D.C., so I'm very familiar with Donna Edwards. Not necessarily like her policies that I should live in the city, but I remember when she ran and I remember the whisper conversation and everything that you're saying. And for me, that was the first time, well, at least in recent time, where someone was politically unapologetically black. Before then, it was always a case of, well, you see that I'm black, right? And kind of like, okay, even, you know, we with Barack Obama, it was like, well, you see that I'm black. But that was the first time I was hearing campaigns like, hey, this is a black woman trying to run for X, you know, this, 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 and this, you know? And so to see that cut down for me, um, it's interesting you brought that up because two years later, that was kind of the hit on my head for me was when Trump got in office, because at the time I'm thinking there's no way this can happen. I mean, well, during Trump's whole rise, it was, there was no way, there's no way. And then when that actually happened and when I saw Hillary go out the way she did, it just made me realize like, wow, you know, unfortunately, shamefully, I'll say like, it really made me hit like, how big sexism plays a part into the voting just as much as race. And it sent me on a different path. It seems like with She the People, and when I read your bio, and there was a part in it that really stood out to me. And it said, quote, grew up in a multiracial family, searching for belonging in a mostly white community, unquote. When you think about your purpose of creating She the People from the Donna Edwards aftermath, and that personal quote from your bio, what do you say to that that meets in the crossroads? You know, I grew, I grew up without a, a sense of belonging. And, you know, belonging is very powerful. You know, there's no sense of uh, pride of self. There's no sense of community. And there's no democracy without belonging. And belonging is when you are seen, you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel supported. And when you grow up like I did, where... The way I looked and, um, you know, was questioned, how's your hair? How do you get your hair like that? Who are you? Or you're, you know, called an N-word or a B-word when you're just a little kid walking your dog down the street. And that sense that, that, that you don't belong um, is a profound feeling. And I've talked to people um, who grew up with that same kind of feeling, some kind of way across different kinds of identity. They were told 
whether they're LGBT or they uh, speak English as a second language or, or their skin is darker than people, other, you know, people in their school, whatever the situation is, they were told in so many ways they didn't belong. But there's a commonality with us, which is across our identities, the powerful thing is when we find our people. And I really think my entire life has been about finding my people. I mean, when I was a kid, when I was 12, 13, I started finding people on the margins. Uh, a, a friend who was, um, whose family came from Vietnam as refugees or, um, uh, uh, you, know, you know, joining clubs where uh, people were starting to say that they were gay. And in the, in the 80s, this wasn't common. Those of us who are on the margins found each other and built community. And it was a way forward for me. She, the people really emerged out of understanding very deeply what's possible when we find our people and especially what's possible when we define and expand our people to include a lot of different people to the point now where in my personal life, as well as uh, the movement that I'm contributing to, it's about a multiracial coalition, you know, where I'm you know, you you look at the the people who live in this country, and despite what we might see, you know, in the hall, in a lot of the halls of power, or uh, the C suite of corporate, you know, e- executives, or um, you know, uh, on the television, um, the 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 reality is that this country is majority people of color. Certainly, it is in my hometown, Oakland, and in California, and in eight other states, and soon every every uh, state is going to be majority people of color. And the reality is that your people are going to be a lot of different kinds of people that, and, and I, um, founded this movement based on values that bring, that help me to identify who's my people, um, love, justice, uh, belonging and democracy, loving our own and others, making justice a law of the land, uh, making this country a place where everyone belongs and to make this American democracy live up to its greatest promise. And that was enough for me to articulate what our collective power can look like and how we go from there. I mean, that's that's the crossroads. And I have never felt um, before in my life, and I'm 52 now, um, that that sense of belonging and purpose that despite the fact that, you know, I was watching a little earlier today, the January 6th hearings where, you know, um, the people who were uh, Trump as well as his henchmen and henchwomen were doing all kinds of things to try to enable a country where democracy doesn't live and and people who are brown or, or Latino or black, you know, were, were dehumanized or denigrated. Look, I know that there are forces out there, but I deeply believe in a community that unites under these values. So that really is the underpinning uh, of the work. And I think it did come from when I was a little kid. When you see the Roe versus Wade overturned, the significance of She the People, would you say it's more needed now than even when it was in 2018 when you started? 
she, the people is even more pressing. You know, I didn't think anything would be more pressing than getting Trump out of office. And we worked really hard to activate women of color, particularly in battleground states uh, like Georgia, uh, like Arizona, to turn out in record numbers. And we did. We were the top organizers and we were the core voters. We were the margin of victory. And I thought, okay, now two years later, where uh, the radical right fascist forces are implementing agenda, they've overturned Roe. It's worth really emphasizing again, and I don't have to tell Black women this because we as a group really deeply understand that banning abortion doesn't stop abortions. It makes it inaccessible for people without means. If you if you aren't able to fly to another state, it makes healthcare and abortion is just part of a woman's healthcare. It makes that in, inaccessible and it affects women of color more than anybody else. So um, women of color as a group, and I'm talking about Latinas, Asian American, Pacific Islander, indigenous and black as a group, we are overwhelmingly in support of legalized abortion as so are the majority of Americans. So we understand um, what's at stake now that uh, Clarence Thomas, Uncle Thomas, has made it very clear that the religious exception that he justified in his Supreme Court decision uh, that he published uh, a few days back, they're just getting started. They plan on revisiting a number of very important constitutional rights that generations of people have now grown up under. And that that includes Brown versus Board of Education, equality and, and public education. It includes uh, marriage equality. It includes loving. He didn't mention loving because he's, his wife is white, so he excluded that. But a lot of people think that the Supreme Court's going to review loving. That's that Virginia case uh, that was decided that made it legal for white and black people to marry, legally marry, and the right to use contraception, which is another case. So for People who all the, you know, all these decades, you know, uh, you, you think about like um, uh, millennials and Gen Zers and the new generation coming up, assume that they had certain rights and assume that those constitutional rights were protected. And now we're in a case where those are really seriously threatened and um, black women and women of color are in the middle of that. So a lot of people are feeling they, they can fall into cynicism and feel powerless, um, start to feel like there's nothing they can do, uh, that the bad people, the people that would steal their rights have more power. So she, the people is here and needed more than ever, because we have to remind people of our collective power and we have to focus our anger on organizing and winning, not only securing, you know, how strong our democracy is because, uh, there are a lot of impediments to voting, but to make sure that we're electing people who are going to fight for us. And um, it's not enough to say, hey, just just vote. It's a, that's kind of, I don't want to be naive. What I want to say is we want to vote our leaders with our values to fight on our behalf and to overcome not only the people that uh, that are taking away our rights right now. So I think she, the people's really important in this moment. Yeah, you you hit on how I felt. It's not going to stop abortion. So the conversation of pro-life, pro-choice had been going on. I guess I was baffled by like, what would make you want to bother that particular law in particular? Like, what makes them say, okay, I want to overturn this? I mean, what do you think? What is the infatuation that old white men have with women bodies and telling them what to do? 
it, it's about control, um, first and foremost. And um, people a lot smarter than me have written that uh, the end game behind the control and to try to mute the uh, the independence, freedom, economic power that family planning affords to women is something even more insidious, which is I mentioned that the population of this country is going to be majority people of color by 2015, maybe a couple even years earlier, 2050, a couple of years earlier, and that the population, the white population is decreasing as a percentage of the overall population. Some people posit that the reason that uh, abortions should be restricted in this way is to encourage higher birth rates amongst that population. And if you think about it, it, you know, there is a white supremacist kind of logic behind that. And a lot of people have talked about that. But I also do think it's part of uh, a worldview of people who have been trying to uh, roll back time in this country, try that you imagine a country in where, where white people are first in line, they get priority status in every uh, element of American life. And when they see that our democracy has been expanding, our leadership has been expanding more and more uh, opportunities that people have fought for rights. They see trans people being treated like human beings. They see gay marriage as uh, something that's been accepted. They, they want to take away those freedoms. They want to turn back the clock and they want to, they, they want rights only for those who look like them and who live like them. And uh, so there's, there is a huge conflict right now. And I, I see that really, really clearly. Do you personally feel a certain type of frustration or anger towards that when you see women on that side advocating for this type of thing? Do I feel frustrated? I saw something that the country didn't see um, back in twenty, you know, t- twenty fourteen. I knew this to be the case in twenty sixteen. Do you remember when Trump took office? It was the first national recognition of the role, the political role that white women play. But I knew white women had become increasingly uh, uh, conservative and that they were a base of the Republican Party. The majority of white women vote Republican, as, as do the vast majority of white men. And it wasn't a surprise to me. It isn't a surprise to me because uh, that worldview, the right wing, kind of radical right wing thinking is deeply, deeply tied to white supremacy. And it is what's been happening in this country for a long time. The reason that uh, since 2016 to present day, you know, we have been able to beat them back to the extent that we have is leveraging the power of black and brown women as the core. Because the the anecdote to a growing block of Republican or right-wing voters is to elevate the expanding political power of women of color who, now it's not the case in 100% of the time, there's always going to be the diamond and silks out there, you know, there's not everybody, Um, but the vast majority, 90%, (laughs) 90% of women of color voted for Biden-Harris. That's a, that is a huge percentage. And in these states 
this midterm that I was mentioning were focused on the Senate races in Florida and North Carolina, women of color, the majority of Democratic voters, black voters, it was not widely uh, understood or appreciated. Um, Black voters are a quarter of the Democratic Party's members, black voters and black women are uh, have the majority of that uh, percentage. And, you know, part of the reason that we build a multiracial coalition in this moment is that no one group as kind of tightly defined in the boxes is going to be able to overcome um, and to really transform our democracy and our government. But if we uh, unite across race, this is something that we, you know, this is, does, it's not a new idea. This is something that Shirley Chisholm uh, talked about in the, when she was running for president in the seventies. It's something that Jesse Jackson, who was, you know, talked about in the eighties when he ran for president, it's not a new idea to build uh, this multiracial coalition, but it is an idea whose time has come because the, the threat, the immediate physical threat that faces us today is too big for us to try to go it alone. And what I always say is like, you know, the ability to, to reach out and bridge across race and build common cause is the most valuable and undervalued leadership quality in 2022. We have to be able to get people who bring us all together across race and gender and say, okay, we're together. Cause the, the fight that we're in is, is something that, uh, we, we're, we're going to need all hands on deck. You mentioned earlier about how you don't just want to say, you know, go vote. And immediately after the Roe versus Wade overturned, that was seemed to be the news that was coming from the left. Of This is why voting matters. Voting is important. If we come out in record numbers when we vote and every time we come out, especially black women, when they come out as record numbers, then what is there to do other than vote from your perspective that you would say? Well, I, I, you know, I'm she the people organizes the political power of black women and other women of color and political, you know, voting is one way to express political power, but it's not the only way. The thing that black women are so unique in America is that we are the ultimate influencers when it comes to civic participation, volunteering, taking care of community, getting our friends and family to actually, uh, contribute to, you know, go to vote themselves, organizing issues. We have been the leader on things like raising the minimum wage and black maternal health and healthcare system and all the uh, movements that are uh, making America more just. Black women have had a leadership in central role along with other women of color. So um, the, the thing that's been missing all these years, because remember, before Trump took office, black women were not acknowledged for our uh, record turnout numbers and our organizing acumen, as well as being the influencers. And now that that's starting to be acknowledged, it really is acknowledged by the Democratic Party insiders. The thing that's now we need to do, going back to my original point about Donna Edwards, is we need our people in power. We need people who are courageous, who have a moral base, who share our values, and they're willing to fight for us. And that, you know, it's it's not enough just to exercise our voting power without putting our leaders in office. And 
I believe that, um, you know, the vulnerability and the love and the clarity that's been shown by the Cory Bushes, the congresswoman out of Missouri, or Ayanna Presley, congresswoman out of uh, uh, Massachusetts, you know, that quality of leadership isn't just what Black women need, it's what America needs. And so more and more, Black women are becoming the trusted leaders for multiracial America. And that's what we're going for. That's what we got to fight for. We need our actual leaders, not just vote, you know, for um, in a system that has tended to prioritize moderate white voters. It's vote for people who are going to represent and serve our communities, which, by the way, benefits everyone. Yeah, because I watched an interview of yours not too long ago, and you were stating how Black women were Trump's kryptonite. They always saw him for who he was. And it took me back to a memory I had as a kid when Trump was like hip hop cool and showing up in rap videos. My mother back then was like, he's trash. She didn't think he was cool even when he was making appearances on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like she was like, he's trash. And so I, I think about the fact of people not listening to black women when they've been vocal about certain things this whole entire time. And I saw that you had tweeted, we need to get rid of the filibuster. <laughs> Why do you think that's such a hard thing for the Dems or President Biden to try to acknowledge? Because there's been other people who've been making that argument, like, why does the filibuster exist? Because what's the point of the people we voted for being empowered if you're still got your hands tied? I mean, you said two really critical um, things. The first is, why don't people, why don't the Democrats trust black women? Why don't, why doesn't America trust black women? We have a history of Jane Crow, which is both sexism and racism that dismisses our voice, our perspective, our intelligence, our humanity, and disempowers us. And that's bigger than politics. That's cultural. And so we're, we want to interrupt the narrative that black women are difficult and things, you know, you remember what they said about the Congresswoman Donna Edwards, those things, and really remind, you know, really um, tell new stories about what's really going on with black women. Remember, I said, we are the ultimate influencers. We're also the most educated group in this country. We vote the highest. Our civic engagement and support of democracy is the highest. And in fact, um, Roe v. Wade was a Mississippi uh, case it involved black women. So I, I think from the very beginning in terms of access to reproductive rights, if we look at organizations, and I recommend uh, supporting an organization called Sister Song, it's based in the South, that is black women who talk about uh, reproductive justice in the lens of gender justice, racial justice, and economic justice. That's a nuanced, strategic, effective uh, way of looking uh, at this issue. And uh, Black women have been leading on this issue for a long time. So so when we think about, we don't have all of our leaders, we don't have any, we have no Black woman in the Senate right now. No Black woman is in the Senate. And yet we are so critical to saving and transforming a democracy into something that is, you know, is just and fair, it's more like a true democracy. So, you know, we're not getting our issues done. The filibuster was created to impede civil rights legislation back in the 60s. And really the only time that the filibuster was lifted by McConnell 
was to push through the uh, one of the Supreme Court justices that just voted to overturn Wade, Roe v. Wade. We need to eliminate the filibuster, and that will allow us to do many things. We can raise the national minimum wage where black women are and you know other people are being paid four dollars and twelve cents an hour in places like Louisiana, uh, hold over from old slavery times. We need to um, guarantee and expand our voting rights. We need to have uh, you know justice in policing and 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 more controls there, uh, and 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 we need to restore uh, abortion rights in this country. And the filibuster is used to stop all of those. Right now, the Democratic Party has control of the White House, the Senate, and the House. It's called a trifecta. There is never going to be a better time than now. Eliminate the filibuster and pass those. But the fact that there isn't the political will even now tells you that we don't have our right leaders. We need those. We need the, the, our leaders in there um, so that they will do the right thing for us. Correct. And although, you know, Judge Kadaji Brown Shout out to that. That was a historical moment. It's still 6-3 in the Supreme Court. Is the extension of a Supreme Court, do you think that's something also that can be beneficial to a lot of worthy causes also? Yeah, the Democrats are serious about bringing government into balance. They would seriously consider expanding the Supreme Court. You know, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson was excellent, excellent justice. I mean, America's so lucky to have her with her experience, her acumen, her her judgment, her character. There's so many other uh, communities in this country that are not represented on the bench that should be. So uh, one way uh, to do that is to expand the courts. Um, it would also bring into balance a lot of things that are going wrong because it's not just Roe v. Wade that happened in this last, I mean, they've been busy. They uh, loosened the restrictions for states on gun control just right after that terrible uh, Uvalde, Texas shooting of children, they uh, eliminated the the line between church and state, requiring states to pay for religious school costs. I mean, they're doing a lot and they're going to continue to do it. So I think expanding the court should absolutely be seriously considered amongst all of the things that the Democrats should be doing while they have power. Remember, after the midterms, um, we hope that the Democrats maintain the majority, but there's no guarantee. We hope that in 24, the Democrats are still in power, but there's no guarantee. Right now is the, is the moment for them to act and to act swiftly and decisively and to act on behalf of the Black community as well as communities of color that put them in office in the first place. Since Beyond 1619, Black women have been saving this country and they've been saving my life, supporting everything, coming to the rescue, all of these things. What is something that you would say that us as Black men can do to help, you know, causes and organizations like She the People and Black women being in those leadership positions in general? Well, I think the partnership between, you know, Black women and Black men for the Black, on behalf of the Black community is important. And I also think it's important in, in terms of a uh, larger coalition building across races and genders. And, uh, you know, I, I just start with Roe v. Wade being overturned. What can men do to uh, be part of a movement that really pushes to codify abortion rights into law? How can men in their personal life and and in larger organizing, talk about why it's important 
for reproductive rights. It's not just a women's issue. It's an issue that affects everyone. It's very, it's intensely personal. It affects families. It affects communities. It affects our economic progress. It affects gender justice. And to have more and more men speak out uh, and to be part of the movement to articulate why this is such an essential right, constitutional right should be restored, I think would do a lot. Um, because for too long, the ideas of reproduction or pregnancy or birth control have really been heaped on women and in some cases girls. This um, this has to stop. It's an issue that affects both genders, all genders, I should say. And um, men play a very important uh, role in changing the culture so that we can talk about this differently. Thank you very much. I, I really feel like my blackness has been elevated to a whole nother level. I hope everybody else is too, because I feel like the gems you was dropping, I got to a point I had to remember I was in the show and not just being part of the audience myself. So thank you very much. <laughs> we really do um, need voices um, like you. How can we, the listeners and all of us, support She the People and how can we locate you and find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Amy Allison. And um, you can also find She the People, my organization, at shethepeople.org. And uh, looking forward to continuing our conversation as we fight to save this country. Thank you so much. Oh, not a problem. It was a pleasure to to have you because I was going to let you know, I'm already following you on Twitter. So, you know, I was already like doing like, hey, so I definitely appreciate you coming by. And I really, the door is open. I really would like for you to come back, especially to what you said. We need to keep our eye on the ball on things. And, you know, I would like to extend the invitation for you to come in when we want to talk about a particular subject and how we can get to it, because we can't keep waiting to November for these things for it to be a crisis. So thank you very much for coming on here. I appreciate you. That's it. That's another episode thank of The you. History Being Black. I appreciate everybody that's been checking out. I hope your blackness has been elevated like mine. Make sure you uh, follow me on all social media at Jayhaw Society. As usual, you can find The History Being Black on all of your streaming platforms, but also make sure you go to the IG page, The History Being Black, and make sure you still support. As usual, be blessed and successful. Thank you, Amy Allison, and we will talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.